for the second service today and for Isaiah chapter 3. I'm going to use slides because as we get to the end of Isaiah chapter 3, the prophet goes into a long list of garments, accessories, and tools of the Jewish women. And to describe them verbally is inefficient compared to throwing up some pictures. Now, when Isaiah preached Isaiah 3, he didn't use slides. Do you know why he didn't use slides? And it's not what they already knew what those things were. So he didn't need any picture to help them. You're not going to have a clue about three quarters of them. And so the slides help. But the slides are not the sermon. The sermon is the 26 verses of Isaiah chapter 3. And may the Lord lead us through this third chapter this way. The death of a nation is a good title. Because Isaiah chapters 2, 3, and 4 are describing God's judgment on Judah, a nation. He is going to destroy it. And he judges different ways. And his judgment of Judah in Isaiah chapter 3 is unique. It's different from most of his other judgments. You know, most of his other judgments are famine, or pestilence, or locusts, or armies coming. In this case, it's going to be the upheaval of society, turning society upside down on its head. And if there's a chapter in the Bible that fits America in 2019, it's Isaiah 3. We're worse than Isaiah 3. But we'll, I hope that we can see that. We want to learn the, what God intended for the Jews by Isaiah 3, and we want to see where we can apply it and how we ought to change our lives and have certain rules in place that we will not be guilty of their sins. So a simple exposition of Isaiah 3 with some slides. The theme of Isaiah 3 is that God punished Judah by turning society upside down to judge men and women each, the men first, then the women, in unique ways because they rejected him. This is the theme of the chapter. God punished them in a unique way by turning society upside down because they had rejected him. It looks like this in the 26 verses. There are five verses where God replaced men with children. That is so true today. Verses 6 through 9, he judged men for their pride, their speech, and their actions. Then we're going to have his insertion of comfort in verses 10 and 11, a warning in verse 11, comfort in verse 10. He judged rulers in 12 through 15. Then there's going to be 11 verses about women. Haughty, bold women who are more obsessed about their appearance than their character. More about their garments, their accessories, and their tools than they are worshiping God. And he is going to go after them. He's going to talk about how they hold their necks. And if you've ever, he's going to talk about how they walk, the mincing movement of their feet, the exaggerated display of their bodies by the way they walk. It's all going to be listed in Isaiah chapter 3. The applicability of this chapter to us, our primary purpose is to exegete, that means to explain Isaiah 3, but we also want to apply it to America and to us as men and women in this church, how can we as men 
react to what we learn from Isaiah 3? And how should the women react to what we hear from Isaiah 3? God judges sinners in various ways. He drowned the whole earth with a flood of water in the days of Noah. 656 years after creation, he drowned the entire planet. Every creature that had the breath of life in it was dead. His choice, so he chose drowning. He sent hemorrhoids and mice to overrun the land of the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Samuel chapter 6. He made that choice as well. He killed 70,000 Jews in three days in the days of David with a pestilence. He desolated Judah with child sacrifice in Ezekiel chapter 20. He moved them to want to kill their own children because they didn't want to do things his way and he would have prospered their families. So they desolated Judah. That means they reduced the population by child sacrifice. What is child sacrifice called in America? He leveled Jerusalem to the ground after a long siege a couple of different times. A long siege is terrible. Your family starves in front of your eyes. And this is God judging sinners in various ways. Isaiah 3 is a different way. The danger of Isaiah 3, what was dangerous for them? God had chastened Judah. God had warned Judah many times, but it had not worked. So he planned to bring the Babylonians on them and take them captive for 70 years. So the danger that we're going to see in this chapter is Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is a synonym for Babylonians. Chaldeans is the territory. Chaldea. Babylon, for Babylonians, was the capital. It's, it's the same group of people. Chaldeans or Babylonians, and the Bible uses them interchangeably, so you want to know them both. The danger is that God chastened and warned Judah. They didn't repent, so he's going to bring the ultimate punishment on the nation and destroy it by Nebuchadnezzar. America is in trouble, like Judah. We can see Isaiah 3 occurring in America in 2019. As we learn from looking at the history of Rome, we could say England, nations degenerate internally before their final collapse. It's highly improbable the U.S. will ever regain greatness that it once had. We are limited. We as a church, as a congregation, inside the 330 million people of America, we're limited by our godliness and our prayers to preserve America's tranquility. There's two things we can do. Godly living, because God told Abraham, and Abraham and God agreed, that if there were 10 righteous souls in Sodom and Gomorrah, he would preserve all those cities that he despised. And though our nation is wicked, if we'll live godly lives and give ourselves to praying for our nation as we just did, God may preserve it. We need to hate and reject the symptoms that Isaiah 3 lists. So we want manly men and we want feminine women and modest women. We love our women. You know that over the last one year, I think it was about six months ago, I presented several Wednesday night studies to you about some of the great women of the Bible. And there are great women in the Bible, and there are great women in this church. 
And we love our women. And we love it when you look good. But we're going to see errors of an excess in Isaiah chapter 3. We want to hate what we see in Isaiah 3 and love manly men, obedient children that honor their parents, and submissive and reverent wives that are modest and shamefaced, respectful, and are known for their good works rather than their garments, accessories, and tools. Isaiah 2 that we just covered is harsh with ferocious trouble on Judah for their pride and for their idolatry. God would arise and shake the Jewish earth terribly with King Nebuchadnezzar. And that is not the literal shaking of the ground as his army arrived. That is a figurative expression of turning the political structure of the Jews completely on its head because their nation would be over. That is how the Bible uses those words. We are going to see so much of this in Isaiah of examples of using apocalyptic language to describe spiritual changes, to describe political changes, military changes, national changes. But we use language just like we do. The whole earth is being turned upside down. You know, we'll we'll say that after reading one article, you know, of the news. And so the Bible uses similar language. Let's get going. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1. God replaces men with children, and we have five verses. This is a judgment. This is a judgment. God made Adam first. The Bible considers that important, and Paul brings it up in 1 Timothy chapter 2. God made this world for Adam. It is the man's world. That sounds so harsh and so hard, but that's just the truth of the Bible. God made the woman for the man. That's taught in both Old and New Testament. But when men do not fulfill their office, or when men are rebellious against God, or when men are haughty, or when men are practicing idolatry, God will neuter them and put children over them. Children should never be over men, real men. And so there is an upheaval of society, and here it goes. For, behold, behold, the Lord, notice that it's small, O-R-D. When you see that, it's Adonai, sovereign ruler of the universe. Jehovah of hosts, meaning all the angelic armies. For behold, the sovereign ruler of the universe, our God, the Lord, Jehovah of hosts, doth take away. Notice he's taking things away from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stay and the staff. The stay is a rope or a cable attached to a mast to help hold it in place. If you've ever used the word stay, it's something that helps or supports. And here, the help or support is nutritionally of water and bread. Bread is called the staff of life. The staff of life. God's going to take away the stay in the staff, the whole stay of bread, the whole stay of water. Do you know what a a siege's purpose is when an army surrounds a city? No water, no food. Starve them into submission. And so they make every effort to keep either of those two things getting in. The mighty man, this is what he's taking away. Can we go back up here? Right here. 
God takes away. Behold. This is something that we should give attention to. Behold, the sovereign ruler of the universe, our God, Jehovah of hosts, doth take away the mighty man, strong, courageous men, men of war that are good in the military realm, judges, prophets that have God's will, judges that execute justice, prudent men that know what is wise, ancient men that have acquired learning by experience, the captain of 50. If he takes away captains of 50, then who's going to be captain of 1,000 and captain of 10,000? He is taking away the manhood of a nation. The honorable man who's known not for his military acumen, but for his character. The counselor that can give good advice for dilemmas. The cunning artificer that can build great things like Hezekiah building the water ducts that supplied Jerusalem. And the eloquent orator that when given an audience can persuade them to right action. These 11 examples of men, God takes away when he judges a nation. And so Rome, once mighty, became effeminate. Greece, once mighty, became effeminate. Judah, once mighty. Do you want to hear a name? David. Once mighty, became effeminate. I do not want to compare presidents. I will just say the name of our first president. George Washington. If you know anything about him, exceptional in a number of those 11 categories. And God's going to take away the men, and I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. I'll raise up immature, simple infants, not literally, but in character and ability over these men. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another. This is the upheaval of society. This is, what the, this is the Bible. This is Isaiah. What did you want when we started Isaiah? I'm trying to give you Isaiah. Follow it with me and see that what was happening in Judah is happening in America. We can remedy this in our families. We can remedy this in our church. And we're going to end with that mandate for us. But everyone by another is oppressed. Everyone by his neighbor. So that there's a breakdown of authority. Men are no longer in charge. Children become in charge. Children demand their way, and they're given their way. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient. Instead of honoring old men like the Bible teaches... They behave proudly against them, snottily against them. They're spoiled little brats, and they get away with it. It's a change in society, and it's happening in the world, and it's happening in America. And the base, that is those without any character, behave themselves against the honorable and oppress them. There's honorable character, and there's base character. It doesn't take long to put a person in either category. God replaces men with children. Judah's leaders pretend I'm underlining. Judah's leaders and craftsmen were ruined by ignorance, weakness, 
and immaturity with functional roles of age and character overthrown by arrogance and oppression. That is the description and that is the lesson of verses 1 through 5 of Isaiah chapter 3. God can judge with a flood. God can judge with a famine. God can judge with hemorrhoids and mice. God can judge with, judge with foreign armies. Or God can take away men. The laws in our society right now are on the side of children against men. Disobedient children against parents. This is God's judgment. The next verses of 6 through 9. He judged pride, speech, and actions. Verse 6. When a man, this is a result of men being taken away. Watch how weak the men become. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father. So we've got a clan. Let's see how strong a clan is when God removes the men. Saying, thou hast clothing. I see that you've got some clothes on. He's reduced the nation. Remember, whole stay of bread, whole stay of water is taken away. They're in a siege. The Babylonians are gaining the upper hand. And he says to his brother, thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler. Will you take over this family and preserve it? And let this ruin, because that's all that was left, be under thy hand. So there's the dilemma. When men are reduced and there's no one that wants to lead, usually there's too many chiefs. But in a time like this, there's no chiefs. Nobody wants to be in charge. In that day shall he swear, that is the man with the clothes, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. I know, it's, I know you're my brother. I know we're the, children, the sons of our father. I know our clan is at risk. I won't do it. I don't have enough. This is, this is a total breakdown of leadership. Do you know that if a family came to a brother and said, Brother, we don't know what to do. Will you take over this family in the absence of our father? Do you know what brothers in the past would have done? They would have done it. And they'd have done it well. And they'd have done it with zeal. All you young men in here, you man up. I talked to a young man in here yesterday about cutting the grass at his house instead of his mother doing it. Yeah, you better look at me. I'm going to try not to look at you so that no one will know who I'm talking about. But every, every age you can man up. Are there things your father or mother do that you could do? Man up. Let's be men. Let's train our boys to be men. For Jerusalem is ruined. This is now Isaiah's description. See, this is Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't some little paddling from the Lord. This isn't my ordinary chastening. This is a serious event. Jerusalem's ruined. Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. God is glorious as the great God of heaven and he has eyes and we provoke him because he sees everything we do. The eyes of the Lord travel to and fro in the whole earth. The eyes of the Lord behold the evil and the good. Proverbs 15, 3. The show of their countenance. These are the Jews of Judah. The show of their countenance, their boldness, their haughtiness, 
their hand language, their cockiness, the show of their countenance doth witness against them. God can see it. They declare their sin like Sodom did. Remember Sodom? They didn't even wait until night and they assaulted the house of Lot to get at those angels that had come to visit Lot. They hide it not. They're not afraid of sin. It's open. We just had Pride Month in America. Woe unto their soul. And look at that exclamation point in God's word. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. When you want to live sinfully, you're rewarding yourself. You're paying yourself. You're giving yourself a bonus. What kind of a bonus or reward are you giving you? Evil, trouble, punishment, chastening, judgment from God. They have rewarded evil unto themselves. God judged their pride, speech, and actions because bold sinners ruined Judah and Jerusalem until no man wanted to lead anyone. For the Jews had no shame for their ungodly speech or doings like Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. This is Isaiah 3. This is Isaiah preaching to the Jews. 650 years before Jesus Christ, warning them as to why Nebuchadnezzar is coming and what will happen to them. God gave comfort and warning in verses 10 and 11. God told Isaiah, who told Israel, Judah, say ye to the righteous, give them a word. Give a word to the righteous, those that want to live right, that it shall be well with him. When you see a righteous man, go ahead and tell him that it's going to be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. See, there's two kinds of doings you can have. Doings that are righteous that God approves of, then he'll bless you with a good life. Or your doings can be sinful that God does not approve of, and he'll judge you. Because then give them this warning, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. God gave comfort and warning. He said, remember Isaiah 1? Come now and let us reason together. The case was simple. Isaiah repeated it. Repentance would regain his favor, but rebellion would bring sure ruin. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. If you'll come and repent, if you'll be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Chapter 1. God is fair. And so in the middle of this harsh judgment of Judah in Isaiah 3, God is fair. In these verses here, of verses 10 and 11. Look for Isaiah's promises of good. When you're working your way through the book of Isaiah, look for these little promises. There one is in the middle of chapter 3. And if you just read Isaiah 3 quickly, and you were asked, what is the general content of Isaiah 3? It's pretty negative. But in the middle is comfort and promise. Isaiah chapters 1 through 5 blasted a sinful nation, but he also hid jewels of promised peace and offers of forgiveness for the repentant. And you should look for them. And there they are in the first four chapters, but we don't want you to see them because we want you to find them. They're in each of the chapters, and, and they're, they're pretty neat. God judged compromising rulers in the next verses. As for my people, 
Remember, he's just had an offer. If you'll repent, it'll be well with you. The righteous, comfort the righteous. I'll take care of them. Was Jeremiah taken care of decently under Nebuchadnezzar? Did Nebuchadnezzar send a message to Jeremiah? Sir, where would you like to live? After I scrape this thing down to the ground and there's nothing left, where would you like to live? Do you remember? And he said, I want to live between Outback and Outback Steakhouse and an Italian restaurant. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, you got it. The Lord takes care of the righteous. Back to the judges, back to God judging the rulers. As for my people, this is God describing them through Isaiah the prophet. As for my people, children are their oppressors. That's already been stated once in verse 5. Children are their oppressors, and that is true in America. See, there was a time in my life a while ago where my family ran restaurants, and I got to see parents bring their children into restaurants, and those children control the whole scene. Mommy and Daddy could not object to whatever the child wanted in most cases. And the conversation in the kitchen with my family was, kids, it would only take me a few minutes and I could solve that family's problems of behavior in a restaurant. Then, if the husband tried to be a man, the wife would beat him back into place. So many men we saw reach for something good or try to order something good, and the wife tell him, you can't have that. Unbelievable. See, I, I, I couldn't even imagine those words. You shouldn't be able to imagine those words. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and here we go. This is why I told you the little story. Women rule over them. Oh, my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. They're destroying your society. Children shouldn't be ruling. Women shouldn't be ruling. It's not that we have anything against women. We're just Bible Christians. And Bible Christians read Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, where it says, To Eve, he shall rule over thee. Right. Case settled. Yes, we know that the Bible says husbands should love their wives, and that gets preached as well. But it's the opposite of what was happening there and what is happening in America. Notice, children are their oppressors, women rule over them, and that form of authority structure does not work. Do you see it in Isaiah 3.12? doesn't work. The Lord standeth up to plead and standeth to judge the people. Oh, and the Lord stands up. Remember, he ariseth in Isaiah chapter 2. When the Lord ariseth to shake terribly the earth, when he standeth up to plead, when he standeth to judge the people, the Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people. All the older ones that should be esteemed and should know how to keep society in its proper roles, they're called pillars. In Psalm 82, Psalm 75, they're called pillars. Men that stand up and keep society together, the Lord's going to enter into judgment with them and with the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. 
you have not been fulfilling your jobs, and that's why I'm doing this. And so the Lord is standing up to go after the men first. This is because of your sins. I'm not putting women and children over you just because I feel like it. I'm putting women and children over you because of what you've done by not exercising your offices like you should have. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts? Why are you so insensitive, so overbearing, so greedy of their assets that you're beating my people? You're causing them to be discouraged and you're grinding the faces of the poor instead of causing the widow's heart to sing. Do you know what it says about Job? It says that Job treated widows in a way that made their hearts to sing. These rulers weren't doing it. So there's a cause. When men do not exercise their office the way they should, it could be, you could be a judge. You could be an ancient. You could be an older man in the congregation. You could be the pastor. You could be a father. You could be a grandfather. You could be a manager on the job. If you don't exercise your office the way you should because God made you a man and called you to a certain form of character and conduct, he's going to put children and women over us as a society. And it's happening. It's happening. He judged compromising rulers because they had not fulfilled the duties of their office and had used their positions for themselves. God provoked children and women to oppress them in a just reversal. Perfect. You want to be overbearing as a father? Like these judges and princes were overbearing? You want to discourage the hearts of your children? He will put women and children over you. And then he judged the women. We are to Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 16. 11 verses about the women. After neutering men, no, I don't want to lead our family. You lead it. Removing skills and oppressing them by children and women, he judged their women and promised evil and terror, turning all society upside down. Women should be protected. Marriage should be a place of rest. Naomi said about Ruth, I need to seek rest for thee, my daughter. But there isn't going to be any when God gets done with these women. He judged haughty, bold women. Moreover, that means, in addition to me judging the men in the first 15 verses, moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion, here you are, girls and women, they're haughty. They walk with stretched forth necks. They walk with wanton eyes. They walk and mince as they go. They make a tinkling with their feet. Therefore, because, therefore, the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. Long hair is given to a woman for her glory. It is a glorious thing on a woman. But the Lord was going to destroy her good hair, her good set of hair. And the Lord will discover their secret parts. The Chaldeans were going to come through the city, rip the clothes off the women, and make a five-second check if they were worth or not. 
Go read about it. You probably don't know your Bibles. Go read about it in Deuteronomy. Read about it in Lamentations. Read about it in Jeremiah. Read about it in Amos. Read about it in Isaiah. This is what was coming for the women. They had put so much emphasis on their looks, they weren't going to have any looks. He was going to corrupt their hair, and he was going to have the men rape them as the Chaldeans came in and ravished the women of Zion because of their arrogance, haughtiness, and their overemphasis on their looks. This is what the Bible... Do you know what this word means? Do you know that God knows what a woman looks like? He isn't going to discover anything in the way that you think Christopher Columbus discovered America. Discover means expose. I will expose your secret parts to Chaldeans, to foreigners that don't care one bit about you. They'll leave you in the dirt after they rip your clothes off to see if you're worth touching. In that day, the day of Nebuchadnezzar and God's judgment, when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth, in that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, their calls, their round tires like the moon, the chains, the bracelets, the mufflers, the bonnets, the ornaments of the legs, the headbands, the tablets, the earrings, the rings, the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, the mantles, the wimples, the crisping pins, the glasses, the fine linen, the hoods, and the veils. Why did my God do that? Why that long list? He wanted to get your attention and my attention. Do you know how real our God is? Do you know how real preachers should be in the pulpit? Did you just hear that list? God picked on the way they looked with their eyes. You know, bedroom eyes are different from other eyes. Women better guard their eyes. Stretched forth necks. A mincing walk. All in the Bible. All these different garments and accessories and tools in the Bible in this long list because God is going after the women. We just saw the men. A list of 11 kinds of great men taken away from Israel, taken away from Judah because of their wickedness. Now because of the haughtiness and boldness and forwardness of these aggressive women. Think about America right now. Are the women of America different than they were 50 years ago? Different than they were 100 years ago? They're not even close. They're so bold, haughty, arrogant, forward, whorish. And it shall come to pass. These are the last verses. It shall, but I have some pictures. Because who and what was that list of things? It shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be a stink. Do I need to go into female hygiene at all? Sieges are bad. Being handcuffed and marched 500 miles to Babylon tends to be negative about female hygiene, okay? Mm-hmm. Enough said? Don't say you need more. That instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. Instead of a girdle, a rent. Instead of having your clothes nice and bound up, ripped off. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a stomacher, that is a decorative item for the chest of a woman. You'll see it. A girding of sackcloth, burning instead of beauty. Instead of beauty and a woman doting on herself, burning, smoke, ashes, charred, coal, every terrible because of the judgment of the war. Thy men shall fall by the sword and thy mighty in the war. Are you able to detect 
that Isaiah runs from the past tense, present tense, the future tense, that this is Nebuchadnezzar coming, but he describes some of it as already having passed, like Jerusalem is ruined. Well, the war, has, the war hasn't even happened yet, but sometimes it's described that way because his point was, when it is ruined, the men are going to have their hearts ripped out of them and they won't want anything to do about leadership. Thy men shall fall by the sword and thy mighty in the war, and her gates shall lament, the gates of Jerusalem shall lament and mourn, and she, Jerusalem, the women of her, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground. The Romans minted a number of coins and decorative medals called Judea Capta. All you got to do is punch it in to a Google search. Judea Capta. And it's a picture of a Jewish woman sitting on the ground, desolate and forlorn, because they leveled the city of Jerusalem and did to the women this after Nebuchadnezzar did it in 526 B.C. He judged haughty, bold women. God defined female immodesty in graphic detail that I just read to you, listed their garments, accessories, and tools, and foretold their looks ruined by captivity and their bodies violated by Chaldeans. Is that a summary? Of the lesson of the 11 verses, Isaiah 3, 16 through 26. Haughty. Okay, here's what I have to do. If I throw a picture up, your mind is going to want to think about horses because I said he's as strong as a horse. Now, because I have Angelina Jolie, is that her name? Or is it Sally Smith? Forget her. I want the picture of a woman with bad eyes and a bad neck and a bad look on her face, contrary to God's word. Haughty. I am, these words right here, are from the verses I just read to you. And I'm going to go through them in order. Haughty. Not meek and quiet, like the Bible says. Conceited and proud, saucy and snotty, thinks she is something, and prone to selfies for fun. Sorry. I'm sorry if I, if I hurt you. Haughty. Why would you ever send a selfie of yourself to someone, unless it's your husband? Well, they want one because they sent me one. Oh, that doesn't help if you're both doing it. Just be careful. Forget, forget this line. It'll distract you. Haughty. Not meek and quiet. That is a haughty look. That is a proud look. Forget who it is. She fits the bill perfectly, but forget who she is. Stretched forth necks. Confirmed by models. If you've ever talked to a model or ever looked at the pictures of a model, they stretch forth their necks to get the neck exaggerated. It's a bold forward look. It exposes the neck. It's opposite shame-faced, which is the Bible word, and it's too aggressive and too confident for godly women. We love beautiful women. The Holy Spirit loves beautiful women. When the Bible says, and she was a beautiful woman to look upon, who's talking? God is. God is. Beautiful woman to look upon. God made women beautiful. And God made men to appreciate that, but a woman is to keep it in place for her husband. Wanton eyes. You can call them bedroom eyes. You can call them come-hither eyes. Whatever, whatever terminology you have for them, they're naughty and rebellious, lascivious and unchaste, 
lustful for pleasure, seductive and bold, undisciplined and excessive. Eyes that flirt. Eyes that say, I do it. God hates all that stuff. God listed all those features. I'm not making this up. This is Isaiah 3. I'm going to preach the whole book to you. Mincing. What is mincing? It's an exaggerated walk. Think of a runway model. If you've ever seen a runway model, do they walk normally? No way. Short steps, unnatural. What do short steps unnatural do? Exaggerate the hips. What do high heels do along with that? Exaggerate the hips. Affected preciseness. This, these are the dictionary definitions of a mincing walk. It's an exaggerated swing, pretended elegance, movements to attract, affected delicacy and gait. Some pictures I won't show you. Mincing, tinkling with their feet from ankle bracelets, draws attention to walk, draws attention to legs, exotic and attractive. Every body part is used, even feet, ankle bracelets. This is not a sermon about every one of these pieces. And for you to, and for me to condemn all ankle bracelets. The argument of the prophet is, these haughty women of Judah put all the emphasis on their appearance and they didn't fear the Lord their God. The women in the Bible were beautiful in public. The virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31 was adorned in scarlet and purple. She decorated her house with tapestries. But Bible women, Christian women, like our wives and girls, are to be known for their good works. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 3, a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Graciousness by a woman is the most beautifying thing she could ever wear or ever put on. It trumps 10, 20 garments or accessories to be a gracious woman. But the Lord notices ankle bracelets. So you women that think ankle bracelets don't matter, God sees ankle bracelets. Just remember, why are you wearing it? If we see it, you're wearing it in public. Why are you wearing it in public? If you want to wear it to bed so that you can't move without waking up your husband, that's your choice. If you want to wear it at home to accompany the music of the vacuum cleaner, that's your choice. And I don't, I don't want to be defensive about these matters. I just want you to realize God sees everything. God sees ankle bracelets. And he didn't like these Jewish women and what they were doing by drawing, trying to draw attention to themselves. Tinkling feet ornaments. These are, all ver- these are all from the passage I just read you. If you want to pat around the house with those, it's okay. A call. It's a headdress of that kind. It was listed. Did you know what a call was? I don't mean a phone call. A C-A-U-L. 
call. We don't know what these things are. I just love a God that wrote a Bible that listed them all. Wow! What a Bible! It covers everything. And women today, women today, you know, when I was growing up, no one wore an ankle bracelet. You know, maybe street prostitute somewhere, but no one else wore an ankle, ankle bracelet. I don't think anybody wore an ankle bracelet for the la- until the last 20 years or so. I'm just guessing a number, 20 years, ankle bracelets, 30 years. Um, I just want you to know that 2007, 2,700 years ago, God already had them nailed down. Can you believe? 2,700 years ago, the women had already got into ankle bracelets. Round tires like the moon. Do you remember in the Bible when it says that Jezebel tired her head and looked out a window? That's what she did. She put on a fancy hat like that. So it looks like a moon. Looks like the moon. Chains. Oh yeah, more chains. I need another chain. Another chain. More chains, chains, chains. You know, now guys are wearing chains in America because everything's been turned upside down. Bracelets. Bracelets. I've got two. Let me get three more, then I can have five. And some of you poor women, I hope that you read the preparatory so that you could have come today with only seven instead of 17 if you were tempted to wear 17. The Lord sees all this. And he's going, he's going to go after these women. The muffler, that's this headpiece of a different kind. Muffler. Bonnets. You know what a bonnet is. There's two bonnets. Leg ornaments. Oh, yeah. We ought to draw attraction to the legs. We wouldn't want to wear a closed pump with a two-inch heel because that's just old-fashioned. Headband. It's in the Bible. You say, well, the picture looks modern. I didn't get the picture from Isaiah. I'm sorry. I would have. Tablets worn as a decorative item on the body. Earrings. Would you be able to hear me? Rings. Oh, yeah. If you've got two, why not have 12? Rings. Just the Lord did this. Nose jewels, changeable suits of apparel, all kinds of clothes. The Bible says that a woman ought not to put the emphasis on her apparel and her hair and jewelry in the New Testament. Mantles, this cape-like thing on these two women. Mantles, wimples, this kind of a headdress scarf. Crisping pins. So, you have a curling iron in your bathroom at home? Do you have a curling iron? They had curling irons 2,700 years ago called crisping pins, and they looked something like that. Glasses. They had burnished brass for their mirrors, and so they had mirrors to make sure they looked the way they wanted to. And they're called glasses, in Isaiah chapter 3, and they had fine linen, and they had hoods. I know we've been over a lot of head coverings of different sorts, but the Lord listed them all. Those are hoods, and then there are veils, and that's listed as well, different kinds of veils, and veils can be quite attractive and seductive. I'd never seen a veil in my whole life 
until I saw the uh, funeral of President Kennedy. I, I, fell in, I fell in love with his widow immediately that day. That was 1963, I believe. I was seven years old. I think that's the math. Did he die in 63? Because I'd never seen a veil. A veil's a pretty creative item, and it's in the Bible throughout as a nice decorative piece. I mean, she was dressed in black with that, you know, and little Johnny standing beside her saluting as the coffin went by. But anyway, forget all that. I don't think that helps you understand Isaiah chapter 3. Veils, girdles, because they had so much clothing on and so many different kinds and it was loose so that they could move, a girdle would help bind it up and it would be an attractive girdle. But remember, he said, I'll rend it. There's a stomacher of two kinds. On the bodice part of a woman, decorative. Excesses of immodest women. American women in 2019 think they know adorning. They are actually behind in some aspects of beauty. American women in 2019 think the Bible is irrelevant. God sees everything. Necks, eyes, walk, accessories, garments, tools that you use. Trust the Bible. Trust God. He's our Father. He sees your spirit and your emphasis. Watch out. He sees it all. He sees the way you walk. He sees what you're doing to get attention. He sees it. Women, be careful. Men, help your women be careful. America in 2019, children and women reign, unlike before. Men are intimidated and weak, ignorant and confused. Women are sexually bold. And we have LGBT perversion on top of it. America in 2019. What's our mandate? To hate and reject every sin of every kind anywhere, including our roles. To promote mighty men in all parts of their lives. To promote humble and modest girls and women. To keep strict, strict recognition of sex and age differences. Because the ancient was dishonored and disrespected by the child. The ancient are to be honored for their age to embrace all authority and to promote it for godliness. Let's make sure that all authority roles are kept in our church so that we promote manly men and wonderful women and that we protect our women and shelter them and would never let anything happen to them like happened to these women. God's promise. Remember, back there in verse 10, say ye to the righteous, and I say it to you right now, that it shall be well with you for you shall eat of the fruit of your doings if you're righteous. God will save the righteous in the midst of judgment. Remember the angel with the inkhorn? Saved all those that sighed. Let us esteem all his precepts and hate every false way. Our church and families can live while America burns.